patient with us, so gracious, I'm thankful for that. Luke chapter 9 this morning, Luke chapter 9, and, uh, let's read verses, uh, verses 21 to 27. He straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth. There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we want to thank you, Father, for, Lord, your word. Thank you, Father, that we can open it and it instructs us. It it shows us, dear God, how we ought to live this life. Thank you, Father, that as we gather here that, Lord, it's not in the wisdom of man that we're able to glean, Lord, the truths that will be life-changing, but it's in the, in the power and the, the, of the living word being preached out. And so I pray that you'd help us this morning. I do ask that you would help us to, to Lord, just be focused in our minds, in our hearts, on the things that we would have, you would have us to, to listen to and to hear this morning. Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity of thought. And, and then, Father, I do want to ask for your enabling, Lord, for, for me and for the hearer, uh, that we might make application in our lives today. And, Lord, we give you the glory and praise in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And a familiar passage here probably to, to most of you, if you're in the habit of uh, reading through the Bible, uh, what we know about the Christian life is that it's a life that's countercultural. Uh, to be countercultural is to be different to the norm. Uh, it goes against what is generally accepted, and it's purposeful, though, in, our, uh, in its nature of being countercultural, because uh, what we see is a culture that's really devoid of any future resolution. Uh, what the world offer, uh, offers and the, the course of the world and the course of the lost uh, it leads to damnation, leads to judgment. Uh, but no doubt it leads to emptiness and, and really empty promises. And the Bible is careful to tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he says, in, wherein in time past, so formerly you walked according to the course of this world. And, and you understand there's a certain course, there's a certain culture that the, the world uh, uh, exalts and the world lifts up as the norm. And he's saying, if you're saved, wherein, uh, wherein you, you, in time past, the former life, you walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, so understand that, that there is a former, if you're saved here, you're a new creature in Christ, which means this, you have new, new purposes. Uh, there's a new course that you must run now. And that you are to be different and you are different to the world. You're different to the, to the social norms. And, and, and no doubt about it, if you truly apply the Christian life, you're going to understand, you, you can't help it, you're going to be countercultural. And so in this action that we're going to learn about today, I think there's no more powerful demonstration. No greater contrast are we to observe of this difference. And we are most countercultural in this, in this life when we're following Christ. And we are to follow Christ in this way. We are to deny ourselves. See, see the reason that this is... This is, uh, this is countercultural in our following of Christ, is that these actions that we read about, they're mutually inclusive. See, a denial of self is a following of Christ. You can't separate authentic fo- fellowship of Christ and genuine self-denial. You can't separate one or the other. You see, when, when, he, when he challenges those that were in his audience at that point, And as He's preserved His Word for us, the the challenge applies to us today. If any man will come after me, the the whole crux of that statement is that you're going to follow me. Here's how you do it. You're going to deny yourself and bear your cross. And and so it's it's mutually inclusive. You can't separate one over the other. The the course or culture of this world, really, it, it dictates that you must appease self rather than denying it. But we live in a time where how you feel is more important than what is right. And we live in a world shaped by greed and self-gratification rather than morality and absolute truth. That's the time we live in. And really we see this mode of thinking really prevalent in our world through, through different ways. But certainly as we observe the, the advertisements of the world, slogans like you're worth it. Slogans like have it your way, as well as products that give dream scenarios uh, to the satisfaction and pleasure of the buyer, really permeates our thinking. And it it's really evidences the course of which this world is following. Uh, even today, the children's toy industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Why? Because parents can't say no to their child and bow to their child, child's lack of self-denial. See, man is inherited, inherently self-centered. Man is inherently uh, self-gratifying. Even in the notion of salvation, we understand the Bible teaches us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, God teaches even in the act of salvation the reason why He gave it by grace. One, because we couldn't do it ourselves. But because we're so prone to trying to uh, put ourselves as somewhat a boast. Someone that we could attain to. And and there's a natural tendency that that we as people have to be self-centered. To be self-gratifying. We see this mode of thinking even in the gender debate today. Um. There's a, there recently, I've seen some, uh, some 
literature and, and different, uh, different uh, publications that speak about some, uh, some platforms that the Labor, uh, Labor Party wants to go, go with into the next election. And, and notice this, um, really the whole crux of it is this, you are what you feel like you are. You are the one that determines who you are. And here's, the, the, uh, here's what the, the, they want to carry to the next election. Here's some of it. Ensure that child protection authorities acknowledge attempts to cure same-sex attracted or gender-questioning children and young people as serious psychological abuse. So basically, if your child comes home and they're confused about their gender, their sex, and you correct them, then this party... Will, will, will deem it as child abuse. Why? Because ultimately how you feel is who you should be. Then the second part, acknowledge these harms when suffered within the family as domestic violence against the child. So understand there's already a wave and what that is in, in, the, in the centrality of it and the, the basis of it is this, it's self. Self-determines. Self needs to be gratified. How you feel, it should be who you are. And, and, and we understand that it's really in both sides of politics. I'm not claiming that it's only that side. We understand there's also on the other side those who want to push this agenda through. But the, 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 general, uh, the general basis of this is that idea that somehow we can't deny ourselves. That we shouldn't. Uh, we need no, uh, no look further uh, then modern psychology's treatment of addictions and, and mental illness. Uh, a prominent uh, author, Rogers, believed man has the same answers in himself. And the problem is that he looks outside of himself to others for those answers. His solution to the problem is to get men to look within. His reflective methodology was designed to produce that effect. You see, by reflecting back to a person that he himself, what he himself thought or felt about a question, the counselee would discover from within the best possible answer to it. So whatever you think, whatever you feel, or however you view that is what is right, is the course of action you ought to take. And, and uh, Jay Adams, who's a leading Christian psychologist, uh, refers to this, uh, this permeation even in that area uh, by, by the likes of Freud who who really propagated the idea that it's all about self-gratification. That, that it's all about you fulfilling your own desires. And what that is is so opposite to what the Christian life should be. And this all points to the fact that man is inherently self-centered. We live in a world that's driven by our own will fulfilled, being the ultimate end and achievement for man. And really, at times, this bleeds into the psyche of Christianity today. When confronted with a choice between our plan versus God's plan, often what we lean to is our own satisfaction versus pleasing God. And as Christians, as new creatures in Christ, we are to go against the grain. We are to enact this thing of self-denial. We are to deny self if we are to truly fulfill our potential in this life. It's this idea that we have our will versus His will. It's this idea that we have our own desires versus His desires for us. 
It's in our, our treatment of others and how we view our own judgment of morality versus God's judgment of moral, morality. And really what it is, is, is what the Bible terms as keeping our bodies in subjection. Keeping under our body that, that illustration that Paul gave about being an athlete who keeps his body under subjection so that he might win the prize. Uh, in my mind, the classic example of this is, uh, is, uh, is Samson. Samson was a, would have been a great judge. He, he, he could have done some great and mighty things because God had enabled him. But what hindered Samson was he just couldn't no, say no to self. He just had to indulge in his fleshly pleasures. He just had to indulge in those things that, that were self-gratifying for him. And because of that, Samson didn't fulfill what he could have certainly fulfilled for God. And yet, you see, the Bible is, is clear in its teaching here. God calls us out of a life of self. Our Lord Jesus calls us to a life of self-denial because it's, it's what's best and really in the end what's most fulfilling. And we're going to observe some reasons why. We ought to deny self and why we ought to live counterculturally in this day. You see, self-denial for us could, could just start with the simple, uh, simple thing of den denying our fleshly or carnal desires. We could start there. Uh, we could start by, by keeping our bodies under subjection so that those things that are pushed to us to desire in this life are not the things that we ought to desire. We ought to set our affections on things above. We could start with, with submitting to the plan of God for our lives, seeking after His will, uh, making sure that he, it's His pleasure that we're aiming for. And we could just really summarize it, this all in the word surrender. I wonder if we're a people that are, are constantly in a mode of surrender to God, surrendering our desires, surrendering our, our ambitions, Surrendering all of our associations, all of those things that are self-gratifying to us. Do we surrender that to, to be molded and, and to be directed by our God? That's self-denial. And, and so we're going to see in our text here a couple of, uh, in, in different places of Scripture, just a couple of reasons why. And a couple of observations about this action of self-denial. Firstly, note with me in verse 23. Look at Luke chapter 9 verse 23. And he said to them all, we see someone speaking here. There's an invitation to deny self. There's an invitation to come after me. And, and, and who we say says that really is the person that we're going to respond to and follow. And so really in the first place, self-denial is really a response to the one to be followed. He said to them all, and, and who asks you? usually determines how well we will respond, isn't it? You know, there's, there's certain people that we find important in our lives. Uh, certainly, if, uh, if my wife requested something of me, I would consider that of, of greater priority over just some stranger that walks past. Uh, certainly, there's certain people that we, we, we have a great honor to, we, we, we hold in high regard, and their counsel, their opinion matters more. And if they were to ask us to do something, we would more readily do that over another person, right? There's a certain people that way. 
And yet, who that is really will determine how well we will respond. And here in the first place, we've got to observe the call to self-denial. And then more importantly, the one that calls us to self-denial. It's the person of Jesus Christ. See, the premise here is that you must choose whom you will follow and the other you must deny. He's saying respond to this, don't respond to that. He said to them, oh, look at Luke chapter 17, and, 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 and he uses the same wording here. Look at Luke 17. And notice verses, uh, verses 28 to 33. And he uses an illustration of an of a, of a Old Testament story. He uses the, the illustration of Lot in verse 28. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. So they were just doing the norms of life. You understand that Lot was in a place where he was vexed as a righteous man. There, were, there was wickedness all around him. And so God, in His mercy, really sends over some angels to call Lot out of that city. Gives him an opportunity to escape. Verse 29, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be in the, upon the house up and his stuff in the house, let him come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. And then notice what he reminds us about. He says, remember Lot's wife. So, so remember Lot's wife and then look at the next verse. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And so the teaching is this. You had an opportunity to turn away. You had a choice to change course. But remember Lot's wife. And what happened to Lot's wife? Lot's wife couldn't help it. She turned back and she turned into a pillar of salt. So whilst the rest of her family escaped, she couldn't. Why? Because she couldn't choose. She couldn't choose to look away from what it was before. There was a choice that she had to make. She had to choose whether to follow after God, follow after the instruction to escape, or, or, or to, to desire and keep her desire and look back. And she chose wrongly. She responded wrongly. And, and understand that we have a choice to make, it, but it's a response to the one to be followed. It's looking forward rather than looking back. And really this calling, as we, this response and this calling uh, from Christ really is one of intimacy. Firstly, it's intimate. Look at, look at Luke chapter 9 and earlier on, look at verse 18. And it came to pass as he was alone praying. Notice who was there. His disciples were with him. So there were those who followed him. There were those disciples we know of, the 12, but there were further disciples that were around. But, but they, were, they were close. They were, they were intimate with, with Christ. They were close with Him. They journeyed with Him. They saw Him uh, in, his, in His miracles, in His prayer. And we first see here that He was referring to those who were around Him. He said to them, oh, they were disciples. They were those who were already in the mindset of of following. There were already those who were in the mindset of being with Christ. And he, there he was in verse 18, alone praying. His disciples were, were with him. And, 
In the first place, the call to deny self is given to those who are following Christ already as a disciple. A, a disciple is one who is, uh, who is being taught, who has already somewhat chosen Christ. And so we understand that this action of self-denial really is one of intimacy. It's really one that is really born out to those and is an invitation to those who are already intimate with Christ. And, and really in the first place, are you with Him? Are you close to Him? Are you listening to His voice? Or are we, are we allowing the voice of God, the voice of Christ, uh, to be drowned out by the noise of this world? By the course that, that is running through uh, as is the norm. But it's an intimate calling. Secondly, it's an instructive calling. He said to them all and then He's about to instruct them. You see, Jesus' call is given to all that will hear. I wonder if you approach times where you're going to approach the Word of God. You're going to approach times where the Word of God is being taught and preached. Are you waiting for instruction? And it's instructive in His, in his, uh, in his invitation. It, it's instructive for those who are already in the habit of following Christ somewhat. And what you find, though, is He will then communicate here or instruct us. And notice what he says in, um, in verse 23. said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, now, if you're not in the habit of listening, maybe you could misconstrue those words. Maybe, maybe you could just d- define that any which way yourself. But these ones, these disciples, those who are already in the habit of being close to Jesus, they knew how to listen to the instructive nature of His invitation. They were instructed a a specific thing. And this was instruction given on how to follow after Christ. Uh, That is to uh, to do what He does and to be like He is. And and, you know, many people, I'm convinced today as we, uh, even though we have the Word of God and, and the instructions of God as plain and clear, are really just wanting to follow after any other voice. And what it is, is you're doing it wrong. You know, you ever been instructed about a certain thing, maybe, uh, maybe how, to, how to bake a cake for you ladies. And you know, you, you, you know how uh, you do it these days, you, you go on YouTube and you, you YouTube that, how to bake a cake. And then they, follow, they give you instructions. And, and you know, if you're not careful to listen to those instructions, you're not, you're not going to get a cake, are you? You're going to get something else. You're going to get a different result. And, and, and you're, you know, the one you're trying to impress, maybe your husband is not going to be very impressed at all. And, and you know, many times we're like that with our, with our treatment of Christ. He has very clear instruction. But really, are we listening? Are we, we, are we willing to be instructed? You know, they're, they're wanting, I think, there's some today who want to follow Christ, but don't want the instruction. They just want to do it their way. They want to do it their way. The way they feel they should do it. Yet Christ gives instruction on how to do that. He says this, if you're going to follow me, it's going to require that you deny yourself and that you bear your cross daily. It's very specific. But really this this. this this invitation, it was an inquiry. He's saying, if any man, he's, he, he's searching out those who would do this. 
those who would actually follow him, those who would actually deny themselves. And this was a question posed. Why? Because it was a choice to be made. Many don't choose, they default. You know, we can so easily default into life. That we have our, our certain habits, we have our certain ways we do things. And, and if we're not careful, that can bleed into this area of following Christ, this area of self-denial. But when really God's making an inquiry, if any man will do this, if any man, he's saying respond to my call. Don't just go about and think you hear me and think you ought to go this way. No, no, I'm inquiring if any man, if someone will, if someone would follow. And many don't choose, they default. Many choose, but choose wrongly. See, the Bible tells us there is a way we seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And sadly, in our day, you know, the Lord Jesus is even in this day looking for those. And He's calling out a call to salvation, a call that says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And still this day, there will be those who want to navigate to God their way. They, they might choose religion. They might choose to, to do good works. And, and whilst those are noble, that's not the way. It's only through Christ. It's only through His sacrifice that satisfied, that was a propitiation for our sins. And He's saying, whosoever will. But listen, even as Christians, we can go about in God's inquiring. Who will deny Himself? Who will follow Me? Who will bear His cross? And many are choosing to, to listen to the wrong voice. Listen to the wrong advice. And our Lord Jesus asks us a question to get us to think about where we're at and get us to a greater level of devotion and fulfillment. It's a question. It's an inquiry. But then lastly here, in, in, his, uh, in his invitation to us, it's really, it's illustrated. You see, the, the premise that we started off with as we thought about this is that the one calling us, and really the one calling us is the Lord Jesus and let me just say this, he, he firstly patterned for us a way to follow and deny. He says here in verse 23, take up his cross daily and follow me. The fact is, when we deny self, we are only following one that illustrated it for us in the first place. He showed us, he demonstrated for us. You see, before we can bear our cross, Jesus took up his cross first. Uh, before we follow God's will rather than our own, Jesus submitted His will to His Father's first. You remember that time where He was heavy, where He, he went up with the, the, the inner three and, and He told them to, to tarry and wait and watch while He prayed. And He, 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 he was heavy in His spirit. And He said, uh, if it be, uh, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. And you understand in the beginning, uh, the, the one that, that, that uh, calls us to follow Him, to deny self, He patterned it for us in the first place. He, he showed us that the way to go. See, Jesus isn't the kind of leader. He's not the kind of Savior that says you do this, but is unwilling to do that Himself. He did it for us, and He did it first uh, before 
we could do it ourselves. He illustrated it before we could bear our cross, before we could deny ourselves. He showed us that He would, and He did. You see, the nature of this response entails that we follow one above another. And, and why should we follow Christ above ourselves? Because He did it first. He patterned it. In fact, He's the one worthy. Earlier on, we read the verses in verses 21 and 22, where He spoke about His own crucifixion. Where He spoke about the, the, the fact that He was going to die, He was going to be buried, and He was going to rise again the third day. And, and what He was trying to demonstrate to His disciples was this. He was going to go before them and prepare a way. He was going to go before them and show them how it was to be done. And in fact, He was going to show that He was going to be victorious over the, uh, over the consequences of that. And, and there's a great promise there for us that we're going to see later on. But understand that firstly, in His invitation, our response to Him is illustrated. I wonder if we would just follow Christ. You know, when we say we're going to follow Him it's this idea that we're going to be like Him. You know, many, many times we want to be like someone else. You know, we have an aim, maybe someone that we admire. Maybe someone that we think would be, is the ideal person. And we want to be like them. We dress like them. We speak like them. We, we, try, to, we try to have their persona and we try to copy them. When ultimately... No, no one, no person uh, that has ever lived on this earth apart from Jesus Christ is the kind of person that we want to be. See, everyone's fallen short. Everyone, everyone has fallen short of this idea of self-denial. They, they've fallen short of that. But you know, the ultimate person, the ultimate one that we ought to follow is our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he was the only one that loved us enough that he denied Himself. You understand that He's very God. You understand that, that when He came to that point, He could have at any time, and justifiably so, just pulled the plug on our escape. And He could have just so easily gone to His throne in heaven and so easily just been comforted by the angels. He could have so easily just said, look, really they don't deserve it, but in His grace... And in His mercy, He went first. And He made a way. And He became worthy for us to follow. And so our response is firstly in this thing of self-denial. is to the one who did it first. The one who showed us first how, how we ought to bear our cross. How we ought to deny self. But then also, secondly, look at Luke chapter 9 again. And notice verses 24 to 25. So firstly, it's a response to one that we ought to follow. I wonder if you're deciding today who you ought to follow. Are you following self or are you following Christ? See, someone well said, there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing, uh, pleasing uh, self or pleasing God. And I wonder if we're, we're, we're making that choice, responding to the one that we ought to follow. But then secondly, notice verses 24 and 25. It says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Firstly, uh, secondly, as we note this 
uh, this thing of self-denial is a realization. It's a realization of a life well lived. If, if you want to live your life well, you see we're all spending today. We all spend. We all spend our life some way. And what he's saying here is if, if you want to spend it well, if you want to make the most of the life that God has given you, he says, firstly, lose it, and you'll save it. See, if you save it, then you're going to lose it. And here's, here's, a, here's a prescription for us, a realization of how we ought to live our life well. Look at Matthew chapter 16, a parallel passage to this, and notice what he says here, how he says it in Matthew chapter 16. And notice verses... Uh, Verse 20, uh, 24. Notice here. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. <clears throat> for what is a man profited? So he used the word in, in, in Luke, advantaged. In verse 26 here in Matthew Chapter 16, he says, profited. If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And, and often we use those verses in a, in a soul-winning sense. But we understand here he's speaking to his disciples, those who are already following him. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. Notice this with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. You know, all of us here, we ought to have a desire uh, to, to go to the end of our lives having well spent and having well profited and have a, having well gained reward. Not, not gained salvation. Salvation's been uh, paid for by the blood of Christ. Amen. But beyond that, we, we get the opportunity to win reward, to, to get rewarded for a life well spent and and if it, all it was, was was to come to the end of our lives and, and for Christ to welcome us into heaven, that would be already worth it all. But beyond that, he, he could say to us, if we would live our lives well, if we could only hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, we could, we could, uh, we could total up all of our earnings and riches and, and we could... We could uh, we could put it all together, but all of that will pale into, a, a, into comparison with the riches and glory of heaven one day. And here we see in a life well lived, if you're going to live this life well, you're going to live it in paradox. See, there's a paradox presented here in Luke chapter 9. He says in Luke chapter 9 verse 24, if you're going to save your life, you'll lose it. If you're going to lose your life for my sake, the same shall save it. There's a paradox. A paradox is, is, is a statement that seems contradictory, but then very true when investigated. And here he's saying if you're going to save your life, and it's got this idea that you're just going to spend it, spend it, up, spend it up in the sense of you're just going to build up something. You're just going to keep it to yourself. He's saying if you keep it to yourself and you just use it for your own thing, you, you, you just want to total it up like that, uh, that rich, uh, rich man who, who built new barns and, and filled it up and used it for his own 
his own, uh, his own uh, purposes, then he says you're going to lose it. If you're selfish with your, with your, with your life that, God, that I've given you, then you're going to lose it. But if you lose it, in the sense of you give it, if you give it over for His sake, then you're going to save it. And what it is is this. That's a true advantage. That's true profiting. And you know, isn't that counterintuitive? You, you mean if we don't save it, then we'll lose it? Yeah. But if we give it away, then, then it'll profit. It'll, it'll save, we'll save it. That's what the Bible's saying. It's a paradox. And, and a great illustration of this is Moses. You know, Moses found this out. He tried to live out his call in his own power, in his own way. And, and what happened? He was, he was put, put out in the backside of a wilderness, probably in his mind never to be heard of again. But see, God in His, in his grace, he, he corrected and He reached out to Moses and Moses was then used of God to be the deliverer God's way. In Hebrews 11.25, the Bible tells us, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And Moses understood the paradox. He understood that if he did it his way, he saved his life, then he was going to lose it. If you're going to try to live life your way, in a way that just pleases you, you're going to lose it. It's not going to count for anything. It's not going to count for eternity. One day when this, heaven, uh, when this earth burns up and a new heaven and a new earth is, is, is put together and created by God, listen, when this earth burns up, then all, all of what you ever achieved, all of what you ever done will end right here. But if you lose your life for His sake, for the gospel's sake in another portion of Scripture, then you're going to save it. You know why? God's got a great savings plan. It's called banking in heaven's eternity. <laughs> and, and, and when you live your life in a way that, that is for the gospel's sake, then you, what you're banking on is not here. You're banking on eternity. And, and there's a paradox if you would let go of the reins of your life and let Christ reign instead, He will bring you to a life well lived. But then also, not only is it a life that's a paradox, it's going to be a life of purpose. He's saying here, live it for my sake. It's not just the fact that you just lose it. No, He's saying, if you lose it for my sake. You know, it's not just letting it go and just, just this idea, just cast it away, but it's for His sake. He says, for my sake. There's a purpose. The great purpose of a life well lived is a life well lived for Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you know, we, the, the question we need to ask ourselves every morning is why do you get up every morning? There's a great power in the why. Why? Why did you choose to turn up today? Why are you going to choose to get up tomorrow morning and go to work? Why? You know, for the Christian, the great purpose of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm getting up for Him. I'm getting up for His glory. You know, it's not about me. It's not about what I'm going to get out of life. It's not about what I'm going to achieve. It's not about my, name's up, my name up in the lights. No, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about His glory. 
It's about His pleasure. It's about His work. Because that's the thing that will last eternity. What's your purpose? You know, it's great to live for our family. It's great to provide for them. It's, it's great to, to, be, uh, to be recognized for, for good deeds and, and, and godly deeds. It's good, to, uh, to, uh, it's good to, uh, to sharpen ourselves so that we can be better used, but let's be better used for God. Let, let's understand that this life well lived can only be well lived if it's lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for our, it's not for our sake. It's for His sake. You understand that God is for God. Look at, look at Psalm 23. and You know, many times God works things out for good, doesn't He? You, you understand, you, you go through life, and in Romans 8.28 is a great verse. It's a comforting verse. It says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And you know, it's great when things work out. Right? Well, we, don't like, we don't like it when things end disastrously. We want things to work out. We want, we, when we do something, we want, we want it to be the, the desired result. And thank God for that. Sometimes, sometimes we're going through something and we don't see the end in sight and yet God works it out. And, and look at Psalm 23 and this is a great chapter. I often tell my kids when, um, when I was a little boy and, and probably even now, when I'm afraid, this is the chapter I go to. <laughs> I just remind myself of who my shepherd is. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And, and we have a caring shepherd. You know, we, the sheep of his pasture, we have no want. We have no lack, church. We have our Savior. We have the shepherd. He, he does this for us. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness Notice this, for His name's sake. Listen, all of the good that happens in our lives, all of the things that work out, all of those things, you know, they could, we could go and we could glory in that. But actually, church, it's not for you. It's not even for me. It's not for self. It's for the Savior. So, so be thankful when, when, when your family is, is going well, be thankful in that God is working in your child's life. Be thankful that, that through all of it, even though you're many times unfaithful and many times fall short of, of God's expectation that He still works it out. Be thankful for those of you who go out and, and try to do something maybe in business. Be, be thankful when, when you make profit. Be thankful that God guides you and gives you wisdom and gives you discernment. Be thankful when your, your relationships are working out and you're doing so through God's wisdom. And then even in times when you fail that, God is gracious to prop you up and redirect you. Be, be grateful when you're serving and maybe you're called to ministry and maybe you're doing something for God. Be grateful for that. But it's not about you. It's for Him. It's for His namesake. It's not about us. You know, I, I, we're approaching a, a time of celebration, church. I'm glad for Southland Baptist Church. I'm glad for the 24 years coming. I, I'm glad that, that next year we get to really look forward to 25 years, and I'm glad for all of what, what's happening here. But listen, it's not for Southland Baptist Church. 
It's for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His name we exalt. It's His name we lift up. And, and if we were to do anything right, if we were to do anything praiseworthy, let our praises, let our praises be for Christ. Let it deflect. Listen, some of you students who do well and some of you who just are, are starting to see something in your life, listen, make sure you're praising God. Make sure your purpose is very, uh, very grounded in the fact it's not about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a life well lived, but it's also a proposition. He says, for what is a man advantage? It's a question. He's got a proposition for us. In Mark 8, Mark, uh, Matthew 16, he says, what shall it profit a man? And again, we often use this in a, in a soul-winning context, and I think that's okay. But the context here is for the disciple. It's again, it's a question being asked, a, a proposition for a greater life. You know, sometimes even in the Christian life, we can just live it sort of mediocre. We could cruise. Man, I'm here Sundays. Yeah, I, I, I'm here. Preacher, I'm here every, every Sunday. You see me. I'm here most times and the, there's, there's other things. I serve in, in some way. And, and th that's all well and good. That's a great thing. But he's saying here, you want an advantage? You want profit? You want something more? What's a man advantaged if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? If, if in all of that, you know, he's saving it up for himself and he loses it all anyway. And the, the, what I'm saying here, this proposition he's giving is this selfishness never pays. It never satisfies. Self-denial is a life of greater purpose. The, the, the story I often think about is, is uh, George Beverly Shea who wrote the great hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Uh, one of my most favorite songs. And in that hymn, he, it's, it's such a great hymn that, that, really, that really ought to, be, uh, ought to be true of all of us. But you understand, George Beverly Shea got to a point of, of popularity that, that not only was he known in Christian circles, he was, he was known the world over. And a, a, a large label company, a music label, approached him about a, a, a six-figure amount to sign on to make records for them. And so this, this, uh, this executive knocks on, on his door, gives him this proposition. And George Beverly Shea took that, he went upstairs, and, and, and the legend says that he came down half an hour later, and his response to that was, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than riches untold. I'd rather be true to his dear cause. I'd rather, be, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. Than to be the king of a vast domain. And he, he wrote that beautiful hymn that's in our hymn book. Really as an expression and really as a response to the proposition that the world give, gave him. And listen, the, the, the world's going to proposition you. To think that if you would just live like them, be self-centered and self-gratifying, that you just get selfish a little bit, that you're going to have the advantage. That you're going to have profit. 
But it's, it's a question. What is an advantage to you? If you do all of that, and you, then you lose. You lose your own soul. You lose that thing that matters most. And then we see here lastly, lastly, go back to Luke chapter Luke chapter 9. I will be really quick here. Look at verses 26 to 27. So we see that, that it's the realization of a life well lived. But then also it's a recognition of the one to be honored. In verses 25, sorry, verses 26 to 27, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And there's a recognition of the one to be honored. The question at hand is who is, who is it that needs to be honored? Do we honor ourselves or do we honor Christ? In Luke 14, 11, he says, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And it's this thing of if you were, if you were to choose self and not deny self and bear your cross, then really you're putting me to shame. But if you would choose, then you're honoring me. If, if, you, would, if you would lower yourself and, 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 and choose me, then, then I will be honored and you will be honored. He, he, he exalts the humble. I think of, uh, of, of uh, the story of Simon, a, a Cyrenian. He was just standing by there and during the, uh, the passion of Christ as he was walking down towards Golgotha. In Mark 15, 21, And they compel one, Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. It was Christ's cross. And I began to think about that. And, you know, sometimes we, we like to think this way. You know, if we would just, if we, if we don't sell ourselves, if we don't make ourselves prominent, then we'll be unknown. Then, you know, if we don't, if we don't satisfy self, then we'll be unknown. We'll lose ourselves. But understand, when Simon was a bystander there, and he came for his own purpose, he was unknown to the crowd. But you know, when he bore his cross, he wasn't, he wasn't given away. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't forgotten. You know what? The Bible records, and God knows who he is. The Bible records that Simon, who was a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. It's very specific. And now eternity knows, for all eternity recorded in his book, who Simon was. Why? You know why? Because he was willing to bear his cross. And you know, the, the, the recognition that we desire ought not to be a recognition down here on earth. It ought to be a recognition of one whom, to, whom needs to be honored. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Simon, upon bearing Christ's cross, he was highlighted, not forgotten. And, and church, listen, um, if you want to be highlighted for eternity, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. See, when we choose to honor self, we find that we will be brought low. But when we humble ourselves and give our lives over to Christ, what we see is we, we see great honor in Christ. 
See, often in our time, in our efforts, in our finances, we give honor to our true number one. It's the one that sits on the throne of our hearts. It's self. But do you want recognition? Do you want Christ to be recognized in your life? And it's a choice. We have a choice to make. We have a choice whether we'll come to that crowning one day. And can I just soberly remind you once again that your choice here on earth will, will, will cause a judgment there in heaven. Because every one of us shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And all of us here, we're going we're gonna to answer for whether we denied self and followed Christ or we were selfish and followed ourselves. That's, that's going to be the crux of it. One day we'll have comfort. He said there in verse 27, there will be those who won't taste death until the kingdom of God. And, and listen, um, for those who are denying self, death is no issue. Death holds no fears. Death is a welcome mat to the rewards of eternity. And, and death is, a, is in this life meant to be a bitter taste. But a life well lived, a life of self-denial and cross-bearing will be one of sweetness that is coming. And today really, again, is a choice. Will we live for self? Follow Him? Or follow Him? There was an article, and I'll close with this. How to be miserable. It says, think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors shown them. Never forget a service you have rendered. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others. That's how you'll be miserable. D.L. Moody said this, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And I wonder today, I wonder today if we're not in the action of self-denial. I wonder today if we, would just, if we would just each day and each moment just surrender ourselves to following after Christ, to denying our own desires, to denying our own plans, and, and lifting Him up and following Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You. And Lord, we thank you, dear God, that you're so gracious to us. We thank you, dear Lord, that in spite of our tendency to be self-centered and self-gratifying, that you call us to wake up to ourselves and to realize that that kind of life is a life we'll lose. But if we would lose that life, it'll be one that's fruitful, and fulfilling and satisfying. I pray that each and every one of us here this morning 
we'll just be convicted in our own hearts about our purpose, our living this life, so that we might surrender it to you to be used of you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. The piano can begin to play as we have this time of invitation. I wonder if you're here this morning and whether you're a regular attendee or you're a, a guest of our church today. I wonder if you're here today and if I were to ask you this question, if you were to die today, would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven's your home? Is there anyone this, this morning just with an uplifted hand to say, Pastor, just pray for me. I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if there's ever been a time where I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm asking if you've, if you've ever trusted Jesus as your Savior. Is there anyone here who say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I was to die today. I'm not sure whether I'd go to heaven or hell. Is there anyone this morning, just with an uplifted hand, say, Pastor, just pray for me. I don't see any hands. I hope and pray that's true. Then, saint, you who are saved, are you living a life of self-denial? Is your, is your purpose, is your life a life that's a paradox? Have you made that choice to daily take up your cross and deny yourself? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, just pray for me. Just pray for me that the Lord would help me with that. Just, with, just help me with that. Just with an uplifted hand. Just, I won't embarrass you. I'll just pray for you this morning. I see those hands. Anyone else? See those hands there. Anyone else this morning? Boy, I'm going to put both hands up because we're so prone. It's so natural for us. And I hope as, uh, as you raise your hand that you would be genuine in that. Let's all stand to our feet, no one looking around. If you raise your hand, I want to invite you to come to this altar this morning. Why don't we just take some time of prayer. Take that extra step. Why don't you come and just um, come to the altar this morning as a piano plays. Why don't we do business with the Lord? Why don't we commit to His way as a piano plays this morning?